The first years is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Golden Harvest, rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service. This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first-generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. Welcome to this week's episode of The First Years. As we're getting ready to celebrate Great Thanksgiving tomorrow, I thought it would be super fun to have a turkey grower on the show. So welcome, Wesley Kent. Hello. (laughs) How's it going, Wesley? Now you are in Virginia, right? Uh, Yes, in the Shenandoah Valley uh, near the town of Harrisonburg. And I'm on the border of Rockingham County, which is also known as the turkey capital of the world. Oh, wow. I had no idea that there was even such a thing, although I suppose there has to be a turkey capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, we have a at the, uh, at the entrance to each end of the county down the main road that runs north and south, we have a bronze turkey that commemorates the, the county being known as the turkey capital of the world because primarily um, modern turkey production that, that we know of at today had its beginning roots here in Rockingham County and Augusta County as well. I'm actually located in Augusta, but this is where the current modern day turkey production kind of began. Oh, how interesting. And now tell us about your farm. Uh, I have a diversified farming operation. Um, I currently farm a total of 650 acres. I own 300 and my Two primary enterprises on my farm. One is a dairy where I milk about 130 uh, dairy cows along with 100 replacement heifers that, you know, we raise from birth to uh, the time they're old enough to go back in the dairy herd. And uh, the second primary enterprise is the turkey uh, production houses. I have I have two turkey houses. I grow for Cargill, so uh, I'm a contract grower. And uh, we usually uh, market about close to 100,000 turkeys a year um, here on the farm, uh, split up into three different flocks a year. Um, I also have a small beef operation, and we have 40, 40 Angus cows, and then we operate a small feedlot. And we do that in partnership with another farmer. Um, We actually raise the cattle on a contract for another beef farmer who's a neighbor. And of course, we grow all we we grow all of our own feed for the dairy cows and and the beef animals as well. Um, As far as the turkeys are concerned, Cargill provides all of the the feed for the turkey operation. Okay, so I want to back this bus up because there is a lot to unpack here. It sounds to me like you have about 14 full-time jobs, so I want to go there, but then also I'm really intrigued about turkey production. So let's back up a little bit, though, to when you were a child. So tell me about growing up, because you did not grow up on a farm, correct? Uh, I grew up on a farm, however, it was not owned by my family. Um, My father was a farm manager. And um, 
so I did grow up on a farm, but it was not my family's farm. So I did have to start this operation on my own. So you were growing up, you grew up on a farm, um, helping your dad, I'm assuming, uh, working on this farm. And then you decided, actually, I don't want to just be a farm manager. I don't want to follow in the same steps as my dad. I want to own my own farm. So what was the first enterprise that you started? Well, after completion of college, I, you know, my first step to, to becoming my own to having my own operation was, was becoming a farm manager. So I, I was a farm manager on a, on two different dairy farms for about four years after completing college. And the actual first step while I was a farm manager was I bought a, a three Angus beef cows and I bought a tractor. So um, I just kind of started out little by little and growing growing uh the, the beef cattle you know where i didn't have to have a place to milk them you know so, uh-huh. uh, that they were able to be on on leased land and um i started buying a little bit of farm equipment some haymaking equipment along the way and and that kind of gave me a jump on starting my own farming operation it wasn't a big jump but it was something that the lender saw as progress which we know is a big hurdle for first generation farmers specifically lending is Yes, that that was my 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 biggest hurdle in the beginning. Uh, you know, obviously there's a huge, huge financial outlay to. It's impossible to buy everything all at once, or mm-hmm. won't even think about it. So, um, the next step was as I was working for another dairyman was I purchased thirty dairy cows from a retiring dairy farmer, and I leased them to to the. Uh, to my boss, you know, to the people mm-hmm. I was working for and yeah. my herd. And, and that kind of allowed me to start building my dairy herd, yeah. um, you know, pay back, pay back the, the initial loan. And as I was able to work through getting those cows paid for, I was also showing, you know, my, my ability to, to repay loans. You know, what's interesting is that that model is extremely common in New Zealand. It's, it's uh, like most farmers, in New Zealand who start a dairy start in that kind of a share milking type scenario. And it's just not that common in the United States. And I do, don't know why, but I do think it is a, a wise way for farmers specifically to get into the dairy business. Oh, I agree. I, I think it's unfortunate that it's something that people don't look, look mm-hmm. to here in the United States, but um, you know, I, maybe we can change that. <laughs> so while I was working for that other farmer, I was able to come across a, a an older dairy operation that was available to lease, and um, the farmers were preparing to exit the dairy business, and so I bought their cows and added the 30 cows I already had owned and started leasing the operation that I'm on, that I'm on right now, currently, and um, and so that was another stair step, you know, I leased the this farm, the whole farm, for about four years, and that gave me some time to to buy more farm equipment, you know, some more tractors, haymaking equipment, silage harvesting equipment, and things like that, and repay the debt on the, you know, original dairy herd purchase and build equity, basically build equity, you know. Definitely. So then after you were in that, then how did you, you know, start the turkey business? <laughs> Well, I, I do want to add one thing. I was, you know, as far as 
borrowing money for my first herd of cows and then the, the theoretically second herd of cows to, you know, I was fortunate. My father did own his own home and he passed away the year I started the dairy business, but he was willing to co-sign for that loan and he put his house against my cows. So, oh, wow. He had a lot of trust and faith in me. Yes, he did. Yeah. Cause you know, without his equity in his home, I don't know if farm credit would have loaned me well, you know, the first loan was for $250,000 to buy all these mm-hmm. dairy cattle and farm equipment. So, you know. What year was that? That would have been in year 2000. Okay. When I started started as on my own full-time on operation. Okay. Now. Wow, that's amazing. It's That is a really brave thing that your dad did because it's not like, you know, when you borrow money for land, the land's not going anywhere, right? I mean, that's a pretty secure investment. But when you borrow money on cows, I mean, those things, well, I mean, my husband and I have a dairy and they like to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, uh, you know, and, and if someone doesn't know what they're doing, mismanagement can, in six months time, cause a great deal of heartache for everybody. Yes, very true. So he must have trusted both your willingness uh, and determination to work hard, but then also your management skills, which... And, and it helped that immediately after college, you know, I borrowed a little bit of money for a tractor and, and those Angus cows. And that, that started a relationship with a lender as well. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to borrow the big bucks, you know, she knew me. She knew who I was. She knew what I was doing. And, you know, she kept track of me. Of a relationship today, 18 years later, you know, like 22 years going now. So, um since the initial loan. Yeah, that's a really good point too for for people who are listening and and thinking about starting out. There's no um, there's nothing wrong with borrowing small amounts of money just to get your foot in the door with a lender. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, my first loan was for ten thousand bucks. You know, right. I paid it off in a year and you know, mm-hmm. scrimped and say ramen noodles and hot dogs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, well, and it's good. I think sometimes we overlook. And I'm not going to get into the education system on the podcast, but I do think it goes back to um, some of the education system in the United States. But we don't focus enough on like keeping ledgers and keeping records. And those things that you have to do when you get your first loan um, are instrumental to your business throughout the life of it, right? I mean, those just basic oh, yeah. accounting things that um, I think are crucial to, to fully understand at a young age to become a first-generation farmer. Oh, I agree. And even if you're not farming, just managing your own life and your, yeah. your own fam- and, and family budgets and stuff, it's, it's um, very important. Yeah. So, so you start the dairy. Um, mm-hmm. you, so you have the beef cows, you start the dairy in, in this time, you're acquiring some land, whether rented or owned to farm, to feed your cows. And then you just decide one day, I think I might grow some turkeys. <laughs> well, that 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 way? so the, the farm I leased that, that, that I own now currently the dairy farm as part of the transition between the previous owner and myself, there was already a turkey house, a, you know, uh, a heavy hen turkey house here on this farm. And so during the transition period, that four years I was talking about, I was leasing previous owner, they maintained control of the turkey house and they kept operating the turkey house for their income. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
over the dairy and the farm, leasing that from them. So after four years, they were, they were ready to sell me the whole farm. And that is when I took over the turkey operation from them. So I stair-stepped myself into responsibility as well. And, um, and so the turkey operation was here and up and running. So I just basically, you know, they raised their last flock of turkeys and I took it over for the next flock, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then since then, in year 2012, I built a second turkey house that um, – it's almost two of the old ones put together. It's, it has uh, two and a half times the capacity as far as the amount of head we can keep in there. So I have, I have expanded my turkey operation since then. So now I have two, two houses and about 35,000 turkeys here on the farm between the two houses. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have Wesley give us a audio tour of his turkey houses so that we can understand when we sit down at the table tomorrow for Thanksgiving how those turkeys came to our homes. We'll be right back after this short message from a sponsor. Every American farmer works hard. It's a given. And at Golden Harvest Seeds, we believe that seed performance should be a given too. We're rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service to help you deliver a better performance in each of your fields. Your success is our success, so put us to work for you. Visit goldenharvestseeds.com or contact your local Golden Harvest Seed Advisor, and let's get started. All right, I'm Annalisa Laka, and this is The First Years, and we are chatting with Wesley Kent, who is a turkey grower in Virginia. Okay, so Wes, when we left off, we were talking about your turkey houses. You said that you have a capacity to grow 35,000 birds. I want you to walk me through how all of that works. So I have a little tiny baby basic knowledge because I worked on the school poultry farm when I was in college. But what I want to know for everybody listening is from the time a little poult comes to your farm, what's the process? How does that work? Well, it actually starts before the poult comes to the farm. Okay. Well, the, the new poultry house is a little bit different setup than the older one, but they're still the same kind of, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the first is preparing the house, and that means pressure washing, cleaning, and disinfecting the house. Um, also, you know, of course, we've, we've removed the litter from the previous flock, and so we're, we're stripping the house all the way down to the floor, uh, basically, and completely washing, pressure washing, disinfecting, and then we're putting in brand new shavings. And so that's kind of the first step in that, and that that's a fairly um, a fair amount of labor involved in that process and just preparing the house for for the new turkeys before they come. So then the day it arrives that they come and you know so we've got fresh shavings and we have to have the house very warm. So we warm the house. So we're looking for a, a, a whole house temperature of around 86 degrees. So no matter what time of the year it is, um, you know, we got to have that house pretty warm because these these little poults, they can't stand the cold. They will huddle up and pile on each other if they get too cold, and they will actually smother each other and die. So 
when, when the poults arrive, we also have small equipment. I say what I mean by equipment, small feeders, little small water. Oh, little tiny ones because the birds are little tiny. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, they're in this house from their whole life. That's all they know. So they've, they've got to start out with the small equipment. And we, we provide, you know, waters that are small enough that they can drink out of and feed on. Uh, we actually, nowadays, we actually roll paper out on top of the shavings and through the automatic feeding system that we have, we actually dump let the feed run out on paper for about two or three days. So the turkeys are actually eating off of just, you know, heavy duty paper, like a, like a, um, a bag from the grocery store, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. And so their, their feed is on that. And then they, they have little small waters. Primarily when, when the turkeys arrive, we have to have all the feed out, clean water. We, we always try to make sure that water lines are disinfected with chlorine and uh, other other cleaners to make sure there's no bacteria in the water because, you know, these baby turkeys, you don't want their first gulp of water to be full of bacteria. And then, you know, they don't have quite the immunity that maybe some of the old, the old breeds of turkeys do. So, you know, you can't have them starting off sick from day one. And um, so basically we, we do have to unload the turkeys ourselves. They come in crates of a hundred and um, we dump them in the house and we would pretty much just make sure the heat's right and we let them go. Over the course of the weeks that they grow, and especially the first week, we graduate them from the baby feeders and baby waters to uh, like a middle-aged feeder and water system, and then eventually to an adult turkey feeder and turkey watering system. So it's basically like how I just took my 18-month-old from a bottle to a sippy cup, and maybe we'll have a cup, like a regular adult cup, by this time next year. Exactly, exactly. And then in that course of time, when they're real little, we only use half of the house. But it's a little bit more than half the house. But um, So that way we're not trying to heat the whole house. Okay. And when they're small, they don't need that much, that they don't need all that square footage. Right. So um, when they're about four to five weeks of age, they're large enough and, oh, they probably already weigh, they will weigh at that point, I don't know, maybe as much as four or five pounds. Um, and so at that point in time in their life, they're kind of teenagers and they're growing up and ready to get out of the house, if you know what I mean. And so we... Yeah we open up the whole house and then they, they have access to the whole house and, and that's where they will stay. Um, and usually we, it takes about 13 weeks for Turkey to, uh, from the time they're, they're born until they go to, to your dinner table. And, um, they will weigh about 15 to 18 pounds, kind of depending on what our integrator is, what the markets require at that time, you know, Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I'm just really intrigued by that. So I have a couple of questions too from a business perspective. You mentioned earlier that your integrator, in your case Cargill, um, provides you with the feed. Do they also provide you with the equipment, like the watering equipment? How does all of that work? The, the integrator provides, they actually own the turkeys, so we, we are not purchasing the turkeys. They, they bring the turkeys, they provide all the feed, and they provide the shavings, the new shavings and bedding that we use. And um, 
they also provide an, an allotment for your propane and your electric use. Okay. However, as far as the building, um, you know, I own the building and all of the equipment that's in the building. A modern turkey house, the investment there to build a brand new turkey house right now is somewhere between six hundred and six hundred and fifty thousand dollars quite a commitment yes um and also i provide all of the labor and all of the large equipment like skid loader manure spreader and things like that pressure washer and all that for the cleaning out of the poultry house so i'm i'm responsible for all of that Okay. So they basically provide you the inputs and you provide the management and the building um, and the expertise to get the birds grown is how that works. Yes, that's correct. And, um, and, and we are also, we're kind of on a competition type contract, like all the growers, you know, our pay through the contract is, is incentive based and competition based as well. So we have an incentive to try to get the best gains and provide the best environment for the turkeys because in turn we get compensated financially better mm-hmm. than to not take care of them at all. And, um, right. So that's kind of part of it. So it does require, you know, experience is very helpful. It took me a, you know, I'd had experience with poultry on the farm I grew up on. However, they were chickens and, you know, I never really did any management as a kid, but, um, so I knew what I was getting into. Turkeys and chickens are very similar in how they're raised. But, um, you know, so I had a learning curve when I first began my, my turkey production of how to properly ventilate the house. That is a huge factor in, 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 in getting performance out of the turkeys is, you know, you can't have too much ammonia in there or, the, you know, their lungs deteriorate, yeah. that is. And, and you also have to keep the environment dry. Um, you know, and, and ventilation is key to that. And then, you know, other things as far as being able to notice when your turkeys aren't feeling good, you know, if they're sick and they need any treatment or um, other things like that. Lighting is a part of management. You know, we, we try to provide the turkeys with a certain amount of hours of dark every day. Some of the other factors involved in turkeys are sometimes out of our control, you know, but every, everything we can to to keep them healthy, keep their feet healthy, because if you let the litter get wet, their feet get sore, and then they don't want to walk, and they don't want to go eat and drink, and you've got problems there. So just a, a lot to keep up with every day, because things change daily, you know, um, with, with the birds, and they grow so fast now. It's just amazing how fast they grow. So I, I have two questions. One is, are they growing faster because of genetic progress on the breeding side? Is that why we're able to grow turkeys faster than we were before? I, I think genetics is a part of it, but I also mm-hmm. think that, you know, what we've learned in, with nutrition. We just know how to feed them better. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just feeding them better and, and having, having that knowledge. You know? I always say like, I think the average consumer has in their mind what they think it looks like inside of a chicken house. And I think if we were able to, to show people what it looks like yeah. inside of a, a chicken house, it's much, much better than what you want to imagine it to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it has to be, I mean, you know, we, you know, we try not to overstock the houses. You know, if you put too many, too many birds in there, you know, you're, you're gonna, 
you're going to suffer in the end because they're not going to do as well because they, they don't have as much room to lay down and sleep and eat, drink. And, um, and you know, it's, you know, the animal welfare practices that, and we're every cardgill grower and most turkey growers are all trained every year. We go through a training every year with our fellow growers on, and sometimes it gets old because you've done it so many years, you know. <laughs> But, um, you know, but it's a good reminder, you know, how to properly euthanize a sick, sick turkey because, you know, we don't need them suffering if they are sick or injured because they do mm-hmm. get injured. So we don't try. We do practice proper welfare with, with the turkeys and trying to make sure that everything in that, you know, we, we don't like to have things hanging on the wall in there that could fall down and potentially hurt turkeys and and try to minimize anything they can hurt themselves on, you know, any fans that are in there, we, we have them, you know, wire around them or coverings or shutters or something so that the turkeys don't end up in a fan, you know, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. so it's a lot of little things that the general consumer may not realize that we do try to keep and, and Hey, it's a great environment. I mean, yesterday it was sleeting and snowing and nasty weather out here in all of my turkeys are in there on dry shavings. It's about 75, 80 degrees. <laughs> no, they've got fans that cut on and, and, and pull the, uh, you know, pull fresh oxygen in and every five minutes they're on timer. So they run and, and pull fresh air through the house. So, you know, they were in there living the life, you know? Oh yeah. They were on like a bird's version of a Caribbean vacation. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm out, you know, getting wet and cold and that's part of it. But, um, yeah. yeah too. And then in the summertime, you know, when it's really, really hot, you know, you can go in the poultry houses and we have a lot of humidity here in Virginia. And so, you know, it kind of gets miserable here in the summer, believe it or not. And, uh, but, you know, you go in the poultry houses and, you know, it's 85 degrees and there's a five mile an hour breeze blowing through the house because all the fans are running and we tunnel ventilate the turkey houses. So, um, okay. You know, it's it's a nice place to be, you know. Yeah, it really sounds like it. I just wanted to ask what your biggest challenge has been. Oh, gosh. Well, um, obviously the biggest challenge has been a financial challenge with, with um, you know, building equity and then generally cash flow as far as being a beginning farmer. You know, mm-hmm. Obviously, I've had a lot of, uh, and I still, even to this day, I mean, I have a very heavy debt load. But um, so, I mean, obviously that's the, been the strongest challenge is because we've had some, some tough years and we've had some good years. The other challenge that's been very, very, uh, a big challenge has been having labor. Um, yeah. You know, as I said, I, you know, I have no other family that's involved in my operation at all. Uh, no brothers or sisters. And, you know, my father didn't get to hang around and see it go forward. Um, so I've had to rely on hired labor and, Having qualified employees that have has been a very very big challenge. They're just not there. Um, yeah, I understand. But now I have two very good employees. Right now, it's the best I've ever had in eighteen years. But um, it's been a struggle over the years to have good yeah. good help. I understand that. And there's a question that I ask on every episode of the podcast, and that is, to what do you credit your success? Do you think that it's uh, mostly luck, you know, maybe lucky timing or just being in the right place at the right time? Or do you think that your success is um, because of your business acumen or skill? Well, 
I think one of the things that made me su- successful up to this point is my work ethic. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, um, do I? I feel I possess some good business skills, but I'm not the best out there. But, you know, I had to be willing to do twice as much as, let's say, someone myself taking over the family farm from the previous generation just because of the high debt load and not being able to to have hired labor and just basically having to do twice as much as the other. So, you know, I had to be willing to, and, and I still to this day put in at least, at least 14 hours a day, you know, and, um, you know, in the beginning years, you know, I, there wasn't anything to put in 16, you know, mm-hmm. nonstop sleep four hours and go. And, and I did that for an extended period of time. And I, so I, actually trained myself in college to to not sleep a little bit my senior year because I knew what I wanted to do and I knew if I was going to do it I was going to have to learn to toughen up you know yeah (laughs) I tried to not sleep much in college and and I had a job while I was in college on a dairy farm so that I didn't have much trouble uh training myself if you know what I mean I milk yeah (laughs) yeah no I remember the uh exactly what you're saying there there's a time you know when we started our farm it was just my husband and I and we did not have any employees the first the first full year we did not have any employees and then we had a part-time high school employee the second year and I remember those days very fondly where you have more time than money and you nap for five minutes whenever you can and you're just so grateful when you get to grandma's house and she has a crock pot of mystery something or lunch meat I remember those days very well. Well, you know what it's all about then. That's, <laughs> a lot of things have gone my way, I, I really have to say. Um, and they, they just seem to fell, fall into place, you know, um, the timing of, find, you know, in my area, um, which most good farming areas, trying to find an operation to start out on can be very challenging because there's mm-hmm. a lot of farmland, you know in farming operations. And um, so, you know, I kind of happened to fall into this farm. And and I have to say, you know, things just did kind of go my way. And then I bought a second farm, which is where I built the new turkey house. And and that just kind of worked out, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I had to do some creative things in order to get my lender to lend me money to buy a second farm, but we made it work. So, (laughs) Yes. That is always a challenge, um, but sounds like you have a good lender that's willing to help you out. So that's awesome. Yeah, I can thank Farm Credit for yeah uh, working with me all these years, so, and I hope they continue to do so. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I have thoroughly enjoyed learning about turkey production, knowing more than I knew before, definitely. And until next week, guys, that's been this week's episode of the first years. And we hope that you have a happy Thanksgiving. We are so thankful for all of you who listen to our show on a regular basis. Have a great week, everybody. The first years is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Golden Harvest, rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service.